belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for April 2nd, 2023 is called A Different Kind of Triumph, Palm Sunday. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. All right, again, welcome. We're really glad you're here. My name is John Ray. If you're listening on the podcast, watching on the live stream, um, we are really glad you're here with us on this Palm Sunday. We are all familiar with the cliche, fight fire with, there you go, fight fire with fire. And I understand the roots of the saying and the context where it makes sense, but most of the time that we practice that, we end up with just a bigger fire. Most of the time, the best way to fight fire is by eliminating the elements that are used to make the fire in the first place. The fuel, the oxygen, the heat. Wouldn't it make much more sense if we said fight fire with water? Let's take away those things. Let's Take the heat away. Let's take the oxygen away. Let's take the fuel away with that. Well, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus, in a very real but very unexpected way, does just this. He takes away the elements that lead to death and destruction, to oppression, death. And he takes them away. And he does it not in the way the world does, by more fire, more oppression, more violence, but in the exact opposite of that. You see, Jesus is the, the way of Jesus is the ultimate subversion and overthrow of the ways of the world. The ways of the world, the strategies of power, the campaigns of strength will never accomplish the will of God. They will never usher in the kingdom. The gospel is the wisdom of God so often revealed in the things that upset and contradict the ways of the world. God sets a very different standard of what it means to be a servant leader, to live in a divine kingdom, and through that offers us, all of us, a very different reality. You see, because this misunderstanding leads to terrible outcomes. Toxic theologies and profound misrepresentation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Make no mistake, if our understanding of Christianity leads us to prop up the powerful and corrupt in the name of a way of gaining influence, if it leads us to take up arms and paint crosses on our assault weapons, and to demonize in others those who oppress us, to manipulate and maneuver in ways that subjugate and silence in the name of orthodoxy, we are not following Jesus. But y'all, the temptation is real. The church has fallen prey to it time and time and time again. Since the very start when Jesus rebuked his disciples for wanting them, when they wanted to call down fire, 
on their perceived enemies. Or when Peter takes his sword out and cuts off the ear, trying to protect Jesus. Jesus has condemned these practices. From the corrupting compromise with Constantine, through the centuries of catastrophic crusades, to the current demonic manifestation of white Christian nationalism, people have been deceived into thinking the call to follow Jesus was also a call to arms and violence, bloodshed and coercion, power over and hierarchical ordering. Later, Paul would rail against this in his letter to the church at Corinth, and I'm going to read a bit extended here, because as he came to see it, and as he came to see it practicing out, he was in awe of it, and it was so hard for people to wrap their brain about. Paul constantly comes back to this refrain. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will thwart the cleverness of the intelligence. He must, we have no evidence that Paul was present when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. It's possible. We don't have any evidence that it was there. But he must have heard about it. And in his mind, he must have, he must have heard about this or witnessed it and, and then later on considered it in comparison to the triumphal entries of the Romans. You see, a triumphal entry, that's not a Christian idea, y'all. That's not something that we first occur in history in, this, in, the, in the Bible. No, these have been going on for a long time. And the, and the Romans had perfected it. A few years back, Jane and I had the incredible privilege of going to Rome. And in one of the museums, we walked into this room. And, and all along the, the top of the ceiling was painted a triumphal entry. A Roman triumphal entry. Y'all, sometimes these could take, these could last over a week. That the conquering army coming back home would, would send in the slaves that they had captured, would send in the carts full of all that they all the the, the stuff that they had that they had deemed it won in battle. And then they would send their soldiers in with their ribbons and their regalia. And they would send the poets in and the singers in singing the songs of victory of this great conqueror. And then finally, that, that general or that emperor, that Caesar, would come riding in aside the grandest horse, the most beautiful chariot, the most incredible show of wealth and power and might and make his triumphal entry. Sounds a lot like Jesus came into Jerusalem, right? Astride his mighty steed with his sword strapped to his belt and his crown of laurel leaves on his head, right? No, not at all. It's the exact opposite. It's a humble carpenter in dusty robes riding a Baby jackass. <laughs> Y'all, it's a farce. It's a farce what Jesus is doing. 
He's, he's making fun of this. He's doing the exact opposite. He's, he's calling it out. He's, he's showing it for what it truly is. It's a farce. Paul gets this, and the early church struggled to get it because they we're just we can't say, oh, they struggle. We struggle. I struggle. We all struggle. We are all so, from the moment we are born, taught that the way we are going to accomplish things is through how smart we are, how good looking we are, how much money we have, how strong we are, how seductive we are. We don't know any other way to operate in the world other than coercion, manipulation, threat, bribe, transactional relationships. We celebrate it in every aspect of our culture. Award shows, victory parties. No, it's not just them. It's us. Paul continues to write this. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the expert in the Mosaic law? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the wisdom of the world foolish? For since the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those who believe by the foolishness of preaching this Jesus. Last week, we talked about worship as the antidote to selfishness. Alex offered that. That worship, we come together, we worship, we collectively direct our attention to God in praise. It's an antidote to our individualism, to our selfishness. Well, listen, if that's an antidote to selfishness, giving, gathering as a church here, giving our money, our time, our attention, our allegiance and affection to God and to each other is also an antidote of sorts. Or maybe, maybe better understood as an act of subversion. To some, to some who would see us gather in church this morning. They would say that we have given over our critical thinking skills to be manipulated and built. You're just sheeple. Here to be told a fantasy fairy tale so that you can just feel good about yourself. To others, we have chosen an archaic cult that is stuck in the past and refuses to deal with the reality of the modern world. To others, we are dangerous. Dangerous in our oppressive, bigoted, backwards ways that we do this. Y'all, church is a joke. We are fools, clowns, dupes, suckers. Does this make anybody uncomfortable? Anybody squirming out there, uneasy? Do you find yourselves just a little in your head going, uh, yes, John, but uh, I hear you, but hold on. Okay. Um, where are you going with this? Because I don't like where you're going. 
Anybody? Anybody willing to admit that? <laughs> Listen, I was writing it. I was, that's why I put this in here, because when I was writing it, I was feeling that uncomfortableness with it. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you sit here smugly like the Pharisee who is praying, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like that sinner. Maybe you're convinced that because you don't watch that particular news outlet or vote for that particular political party or post those particular offensive social media memes that you have it figured out. That you're on the good side and it's everyone else that's going to hell. This kind of accommodating arrogance Maybe the only thing worse than the ignorant ranting of the mob. It's not replacing the power-hungry, violent, oppressive wisdom of the rabble with the wisdom of God, but it's just another form of elitism, privileged, judgmental, self-righteous wisdom that is just as off-base and destructive as it sits in haughty judgment over those people. The wisdom of God puts an end to all forms of worldly, foolish wisdom. All of them. The triumphal entry makes mockery of all its forms of fleshly privilege and power. The triumphal entry sits in judgment over all the demonic ways of treating people made in the image of God as less than or other than or as being irredeemably unlovable. In our teaching meeting this this week, Jennifer noted that just because we get to read the story doesn't mean we won't be shocked by by how Jesus operates. Y'all have been studying this book since I was old enough to read, and I am continually shocked, offended, brought up short, exposed by the words in it. I've never gotten to a place where my heart is perfect or pure. I've never come to any kind of understanding that prevents me from learning something new with that. I would add that if we're not just shocked, but also humbled and convicted, we aren't really paying attention. We just wrapped up five weeks of looking at lamentations, which is a wild thing to do in a church. Spend five weeks saying, hey, come and suffer with us. It's not a very good marketing campaign. That ought to be foolish enough right there to tell you what we're doing. But Lamentations ask so many questions that we're afraid to ask. What is the wrath of God? Why do bad things happen? How are we to survive being overwhelmed and overcome and overmatched and outgunned? 
how are we to do that? The answer to the question of what does God's wrath look like has been one that has been debated by theologians and church lock-ins and teenage pot-filled smoke rooms for centuries. What does it look like? Y'all, God's wrath looks like Jesus. Looks like Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Knowing full well the spectacle that he presented. Knowing full well what he was going up against. Knowing full well what awaited him at the end of that short donkey ride. The wrath of God looks like God's self coming in, exposing in the fullest way possible the futility of our own efforts to be our own saviors. Exposing at every turn the futility of our own efforts to save ourselves or to make ourselves acceptable somehow to God and suffering the consequences of it publicly, unashamedly, and forever. Jesus comes in refusing to engage in the politics or power or using the instruments of violence or Posturing with detached self-righteous judgment. Y'all, we want a Messiah that comes in and kicks ass and takes names. That's just what we want. Or at least sits on the sidelines snickering with us and our self-righteous smugness at all the other people vainly trying to do things. Instead, what we get is Jesus. And indeed, we must be people who reflect what theologians call the Nazareth Nazareth Manifesto. Again, in our entrenched culture, there's lots of words of manifestos, communist and otherwise. But as the church, we have one, and it is the Nazareth Manifesto. The one that says that the biblical gospel is a justice-bringing, sin-forgiving, slavery-crushing, illness-healing, debt-remitting, low-status-reversing, sin-cleansing, outsider-inclusing, and truthing-to-power gospel. That was Jesus' manifesto, and it should be ours as well. But how? How do we do this? How do we do this in a world that is dying for answers to the ever-increasing challenges of climate change, crippling wars, systemic injustice, and violence towards the already marginalized, the already oppressed, the already othered. How do we respond if we are to give up the dual temptations of violence and power 
or smug indifference and accommodating of privileged hoarding. There is only one way, Grace Church. And that, there's just, there's just no other answer that I see. And the answer is that just like Jesus, we will follow him. We will follow Jesus to the cross. It's the only answer I see. That's the only way forward is to follow Jesus to the cross. And that's what we do this week. That's what we remember and what we reenact. I want to invite you this week to consider the walk to the cross that Jesus took. Be with us Friday night as we read the scripture and blow out the candles and sit in the the darkness and the awkwardness of Saturday. A Saturday where God is dead. And then to come back and celebrate that resurrection on Sunday, yes, but don't short-circuit that. We are learning to lament. We are learning to be okay with our questions. We are learning to be okay with our pain. We have to walk with Jesus. Because then, just like Jesus, we will beg for the cup to be taken from us. Just like Jesus, we will be faced continually with that question, are we going to renounce our own lives? Are we going to give that up for the sake of others? Just like that, we will also be counted as fools the same way that Jesus was. Threats the same way that Jesus was. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Um, Father Richard Rohr wrote this he said we must move from a belief based religion to a practice based religion or little will change we will merely continue to argue about what we are supposed to believe and who are the unbelievers and who are the believers and y'all that's what we're doing At least that's what we're trying. We're trying to do here at Grace Church. Is to move into this practice-based faith. Where we start with belonging. We start with belonging. We learn to believe as we become. As we practice these things. At Grace Church, we practice radical hospitality, the invitation to belong as an imitation of the subversive, restorative invitation of Jesus to each of us and to all of us. Through this practice, we are formed and become more and more like Jesus and more and more like ourselves. These practices are guided by and influence our confession, the way we express what we believe and what we are coming to believe. And that's why this is the center of our worship. Not my words, not these songs. This table is the center of our worship. This is where we get up. We physically move our bodies. We take into our bodies this reminder of redemption. This reminder that the sacrifice that represents death brings life. The paradox of it. The paradox of it. This is where we remember that Jesus didn't just come with words or platitudes or programs, but he came as a person. 
fully vulnerable. And in his obedience, his loving gift rewrites history, rewrites meaning, rewrites our life. And as foolish that as that is to the world, we embrace it. We embrace it. So I'm going to ask that those serving communion come up. Um, Go ahead and as you take the elements, just take them as you as you go. We won't take them all together. We'll wait for the kids to come back in, so that, or they can come back in. They can take it when they come in with that as well. But thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being foolish enough to be here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.